Okay. It's great to see everyone. Great to resume our Parsha class. Looking forward to a phenomenal year together. And these are the best Parshios to uh, resume with. Sefer Dvarim, our uh, great inspired leaders have always seen Sefer Dvarim really as the quintessential Musr Sefer. One doesn't need contemporary self-help books or a Musr Svarim. You just read through Sefer Dvarim. Moshe's monologue, his soliloquy to the Jewish people in the last day, days of his life really is the greatest motivational speech maybe of all time. Touching on their deficiencies and flaws, offering them guidance, support, and inspiration. Satmar Rebbe is quoted as saying that it's good that Sefer Dvarim falls in the summer when people often, I guess in the New York area, they go upstate to their bungalow, wherever they go. It'd be hard to carry a lot of Svarim with them. Like Musa Svarim, all you need is a Chumash. You have a ton of mitzvos in Sefer Dvarim. You've got Musr in Sefer Dvarim. You have everything you can need in Sefer Dvarim. And that remains true for Parsha's Kiseitse. As we begin Kiseitse, it continues to be encouragement. There's mitzvos that guide and regulate our lives. There's Musr that tries to mold and shape our character. It's a phenomenal Parsha. We can't do it justice. We could spend a lifetime just studying Parsha's Kiseitse. This class may feel like a lifetime, but we don't have a lifetime. We're just going to tackle one specific mitzvah today. But first we'll do our overview as we always do. If you have the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, page 1046. And the parsha begins, When we go out to war on our enemies. And here the Torah gives us guidelines. The soldier, the mentality of a soldier. I've never been a soldier myself. In conversation with soldiers, both here in America, Israeli soldiers in particular... The mentality, the confronting mortality that a soldier goes through. It's not a coincidence even in the Israeli army, the correlation between taking up smoking and being in the army. What study telling you that you'll get lung cancer in 60 years bothers you when you're not sure if you're going to live beyond the raid in the village tonight? So the mentality of the soldier is very different than what we can relate to. Confronting mortality, losing friends, feeling the burden of a, of a nation protecting a people. And the Torah recognizes that in the beginning of our parsha. And the Torah makes a great concession for that soldier. That when the soldier sees the Eishas Yefas Toar, the beautiful woman, and this too is part of kind of the caricature of soldiers, part of the, the uh, stereotype of soldiers, American soldiers as well, that when they're at war, and they find women, and again, because of the condition in which they're in. The Torah here makes a concession, and the Torah was written for B'nai Adam. And here we see the Torah is not describing, we've talked about this in the past, a utopian society. The Torah is not trying to depict or trying to create the perfect world, the utopian world. The Torah is responding to and makes concessions towards the reality and the frailty of man of mankind. And this is one perfect example, which we're not getting into in, in length. But the Eishas Yifas Torah, the Torah gives us a process and procedure she has to go through before which she can be eligible to him. And that drawn out process is to buy time till he can come to his senses. But if he doesn't, and she completes the process, he, he can in fact be intimate with her, be with her, and ultimately... Marry her. But I th- what? Yes. And I think that, again, the emphasis of the parsha here, what's insight to us is that the Torah is describing not a utopian world, but Lodibra Torah Ela Keneged Yetzahara. 
The Torah is here not to create, the Torah is here not to regulate a world that pretends we don't have a Yetzirah. The Torah is not written for the most righteous among us. The Torah is not designed for perfect people. It's the opposite. The Torah is designed for imperfect people who are trying to become better. And this is the perfect case study of it. And the parsha then goes on to the famous case of the Ben Sorer Umora, the wayward child, the rebellious child. Chazal tells us this is one of the three mitzvot in the Torah that never happened and never will happen. To meet all the standards and conditions for this mitzvah, it had never occurred in the past, nor will it ever occur in the, in the future. So why do we have taking a precious real estate in the Torah? Why do we have sections of Shas dealing with it? Because in order to study Torah, there are values and lessons we can extract from it. But ultimately, why do we have it? Because it promotes, it advances, it expands the study of Torah. Torah gives us very specific lessons about this rebellious child, very specific criterion to qualify for this label and for this title. And even though he's never existed, but again, there's so much we can learn from it. Rashi says... The word sorer comes from the word sar. He's drifted from the path. He's not meeting our expectations and our hopes. He's off the derech, off the path that we hoped for him. He's not heading to that university or getting that profession or marrying that woman or having those children or creating that Shabbos table. He's sorer, he's sar. He has deviated and drifted from the path that we wanted. And what was the catalyst? What stimulated the rebelliousness within this child? Torah says, He does not and he cannot hear kol aviv v'kol imo. He doesn't hear the voice of his father and the voice of his mother. And it's interesting because the Torah never wastes a word. And it would have been much more efficient to say, Eneu shamea kol aviv v'imo. Doesn't hear the voice of his father and his mother. Why is the word kol used twice? Kol aviv v'kol imo. And the Mepharshim explain that when children receive mixed messages, inconsistent and contradictory values, it all becomes incoherent. What pushed this child towards rebelliousness? Inconsistent messages within a home. There's a kol aviv and a kol imo, and they're not on the same page. Now marriage is made up of different people. And the diversity of the marriage is what makes it beautiful. But parents need to work out their differences privately. And there has to be a sense of consensus when presenting to children, when educating children. You disagree on which school to send to, which camp to send to, how to react, how to respond, how to punish. That's legitimate to disagree. Go to Starbucks, debate it for five hours, come to a conclusion so that children don't sense some difference, a mixed message contradiction between the parents and even more significantly contradiction between what the parents say and what the parents do. The kol aviv and the kol imo. This, this, this. We're not going to spend all this time on this right now. You all know this well. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, this is one of my favorite quotes. He said, what you do speak so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. What you do speak so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. Kol avivikolimo. The Orachayim here, Orachayim on our parsha says, note the Pasuk does not say, Eino shomea bekol avivikolimo. What does it say? We're on the bottom of page 1046. Pasuk Yirches. Kiel ish ben sorer moreh, Einenu shomea 
Bekol Aviv, Bekol Imo. And the Orachayim right here says, what's the difference between Eino and Einenu? Eino means he doesn't, he chooses not to. What is Einenu? He cannot, he can't. There is a blockage preventing the message from penetrating. Einenu Shomei, he can't hear. And that's exactly the catalyst. What led this rebelliousness within this child is that the messages are so mixed, they're so inconsistent, they're so hypocritical that they cannot penetrate. Einenu Shomei, you think you're speaking, they can't hear what you're saying. Because your actions are so loud, they can't hear what you're saying. Because they're so inconsistent, they come through scrambled. They can't hear what you're saying. There's a lot more to talk about this. That's the opening of the parsha, the Ben Sora Umora. Parsha continues with all kinds of mitzvahs. We're not going to go into them in depth. Again, I want to get to our section, but just um, some examples. This is Halana Sames, the source of the fact that we do not delay burial. There's a mitzvah to bury somebody as expeditiously as possible. Obviously that goal is mitigated if we can give greater honor by waiting. So you're waiting for family to come in and so on and so forth. But all else being equal, halana sames, delaying of burial, we try to bury as quickly as possible. It's a Torah prohibition. It's a machlokis, but it most assume a Torah prohibition based here on this Pasuk. The obligation of uh, responsibility towards the property of other people, preserving their property, the prohibition. Here we have a theme that runs through the Parsha of the notion, and I'm not going to give an editorial comment, you can, you can uh, extract your own <coughs> contemporary application, but the Torah clearly sees God as having created a world of differences, and that the differences of species, of gender, of materials, those differences are important, they're meaningful. They contribute to the harmony and the balance and the equilibrium of the world. So whether it's, whether it's wool and linen that you shouldn't mix, whether it's different species of produce that you can't graft and, and create a hybrid of kilayim, whether it's men dressing as women or women dressing as men, which is a biblical prohibition, I got a Shiloh this morning, not the kind of shayla you think, but actually it's a, a woman in the shul who has a license to carry a gun and has a gun, but uh, was studying the story of Ya'el and Sisra, and in that context, it uh, came up how Ya'el did the methodology she did to kill Sisra. She didn't have a weapon. It would be, it would be uh, Beget Ish, because in those days, only men carried weapons. Women didn't have a weapon. For a woman to wear a weapon would be a violation of dressing as the opposite gender. So I wanted to know today, 2017, South Florida, where... If you're breathing, you qualify to have a weapon. So could she, is it a violation of, is it a violation of, of uh, Beged Ish for her to wear her gun? So without commenting on carrying a gun from a need or halachic context, but just on that particular prohibition, I said if we live in a world in which women carry guns, the prohibition doesn't apply. The Gemara talks about a prohibition for men to look in the mirror. Once upon a time, men were not vain to look in a mirror, they didn't know what mirror, they could care less about a mirror. That was a, a feminine activity, not to, to judge it in any way, just there's differences between the genders in that area. But today, men look in a mirror, so is it prohibitive for a man to look in a mirror? No. Can a man wear a watch? Rav Chaim Kanievsky, today you go to the great Rav Chaim Kanievsky in Bnei Brak to get a bracha. There's two things that Rav Chaim Kanievsky is 
right now telling people often, someone in our community got a bracha from him this summer, and I noticed he looked different. I said, wow, that's quite a beard you have. Chaim Kanievsky told him, you got to grow a beard. And he also tells people, you should mend, they should not wear a watch. That's a piece of jewelry. Okay, again, most poskim don't see it that way. In a world in which men also wear watches, it's not female jewelry. My point is that this, this, pro, this halachic prohibition of dressing as the opposite is all relative to the time, the place, the local custom. For a gun, for a watch, and so on. But there are some objective boundaries of the garb and dress of a woman and the garb and dress of a man. And those are not subject to time and place, but those are absolute or objective boundaries. And again, you see this theme in this Parsha in particular, that God created wool and linen, don't mix them. He created different, uh, different things that grow on a vine, don't graft them. By the way, interesting, Charlotte, I'm still waiting for Ravasha Weiss to give me a tshuva. Somebody actually saw at Home Depot, they sell a citrus tree, I think I mentioned this previously, a citrus tree that grows dozens and dozens of types of citrus on one tree. A lemon and an orange and a grapefruit and a, all, it's grafted that one tree can produce all kinds of, all kinds of citrus fruit. Is that a problem? Is that a halachic problem to plant such a tree, to grow such a tree, to benefit from such a tree? Again, it's all in our parsha. Clearly the Torah sees that there are distinctions and differences. There are categories both in people, in clothing, in the animal world, in the vegetable world. In every layer of creation, we have distinctions and differences and they're important to the equilibrium. And when we blend and erase those differences and deny them, we... we, uh, create an imbalance and we disturb the equilibrium of the world. Torah then continues with Allah of Shiluach HaKain or Shiluach HaKan, two traditions how to pronounce it, but the obligation of sending the mother bird away before taking the eggs. It's a mitzvah we spoke about previously. You could listen online on Why Torah. The mitzvah of putting up a maka, a fence, which is what we're going to get into momentarily, not to wear shatnez, mixing wool and linen. The mitzvah of wearing tzitzis, which overrides the prohibition of not wearing shatnez. Um, interpersonal relationships, intimate relationships, adultery, defamation, marriages, preserving the sanctity of the camp, um, making good on a vow to Hashem. When you make a vow, make good on it. Don't procrastinate, don't delay, don't violate the timeline of your promise to the Almighty. Divorce and remarriage, kidnapping, tsaras, you got it all in this parsha. Caring about the widow and the orphan, giving staka and charity to the poor. Malchus, you have here the origin of Yibum. If a man dies with no children and has a brother, then the wife is obligated, the brother is obligated in Yibum towards his former sister in law and has a choice of either Yibum or Chalitza. Marry her or the process of Chalitza in order to end the zika, to sever the bond that was created through this obligation of Yibam. This is something that continues today. But they didn't arrange chalitza. Ashkenazim for many, many centuries have taken Yibam off the table. In circumstances of levirate marriage of Yibam, we only give chalitza as the alternative because Yibam requires a certain mindset that you're doing it for certain reasons. We don't think we're capable or we don't have confidence. We're always doing it for that reason. So we took Yibam off the table and only do Chalitza. Svardim, Paskin, that Yibam is an alternative to. This was one of the early objections of Rav Avadya. When the state of Israel was trying to create a law and embraced the position for the chief rabbinate of the Ashkenazim, only Chalitza, not Yibam, said Rav Avadya. That's nice, but there's a whole other demographic in Israel called Svardim. 
and we have our own traditions and our own halacha. And that was part of his returning, to return the crown to its former glory, that people embrace the Svarti position as well. Yechavit's grandmother, my wife's grandmother, had to have chalitza. After the Holocaust, she, she uh, was able to ascertain she was married with a child. Her husband and child were both murdered in the Holocaust. And she was able to ascertain that the child was murdered before her husband. And his brother survived the war which meant that when her husband was murdered, he was childless. Therefore, she was obligated, and therefore, before she could marry Yochevet's grandfather, she had to perform chalitza, he, uh, she had to receive chalitza with the brother-in-law. So something which continues until today. It's an interesting Ramban in our parsha, who says, Yibum is the origin for the concept of Gilgulim, of, translate Gilgulim, reincarnation. Reincarnation, that souls are reincarnated. Because when the brother takes his former sister-in-law as a wife to produce a child, that child is the reincarnation of the deceased brother. Gives his soul continuity, says the Ramban. Not everybody believes in reincarnation. Rabbi, I think Yitzhi Blau has an article in, in the Torah Mada. And he quotes many, many sources that line up on both sides of this debate. Do we believe in reincarnation? Do we not believe in reincarnation? Whatever you believe, you're safe. Don't worry. There's somebody who has your position. But the Ramban, who does subscribe to reincarnation, quotes this as one of the sources. Parsha ends with the obligation of honest weights and measures. Interestingly, using the word, We like to use the word to'eva, abomination, in order to describe certain illicit, promiscuous behavior. But the Torah uses that same word to'eva, abomination, not only to talk about promiscuous activity, but dishonest business practices, dishonest weights and measures, bending the truth, cheating on your taxes, not being entirely accurate on the business expenses. All of this is considered a to'eva to God as well. And Parshas Kisetze ends with remembering Amalek. This is what we read, Zachor. The Shabbos before Purim, when we read Parshas Zachor, it comes from here. In fact, Postgum say, if for whatever reason you couldn't make it to shul, you didn't hear uh, the reading of Amalek, you didn't hear Parsha Zachor on Shabbos before Purim, pay attention. This Shabbos, when you listen at the end of Torah reading, you're Yotze, the biblical obligation. Chassam Sofer points out, that it doesn't work out entirely, because what happens in a leap year? You're obligated to hear Parsha Zachor once a year, biblically. In a leap year where there's 13 months, you will miss out on hearing it each, once each year, but anyway, that's a side technicality. I want to go back and study the section of building a fence on your roof. I happen to, because I have a tremendously generous spirit, having come back from vacation, made you a whole source booklet so you could follow inside. Don't get used to it. I'm not sure how often it's going to happen. But for today. So we are, if you're looking in the Arts Girl Stone Chumash, page 1050, Perak Chav Beis, Pasuk Ches, chapter 22. Verse 8. Okay. All we're going to study today is two Pesukim. I'm sorry, it's one Pasuk. All we're studying is that one Pasuk. If you build a new house, construct a new house, and you move into it, 
You can't do so before you put a fence around the roof. Now we're not talking about our, if you have a slanted roof, roof, that you have no access to, it doesn't need a fence. If you have a flat roof with a ladder, if you have an area that you have access to, that's what needs a roof. So I don't want anyone running out of here, getting worried. All of a sudden you're going to see a fence around a slanted roof. If you have access to that area, that's when it needs a roof. So you build a new house, you need a roof. Why? Because we don't want there to be blood in your house, blood on your hands. Why would there be? Someone will surely fall off your roof if it has no fence. You have a balcony, you have a porch, and you have no railing, you have no fence. You have a staircase that has no railing, no fence. Someone will surely fall. And it's your liability. Not only legally, spiritually, it's your liability. So Torah says, don't move into the house before you have a fence. A lot of questions on this. Most notably among them, what if you didn't build a new house? What if you bought an old house? What if you've been living in that house all these years? You're not obligated in a fence? Why does the Torah specifically present this mitzvah with kisivne bayis chadash? If you build a new house, that's when you are obligated. Very interesting, a very interesting mitzvah. So we'll look at the Mepharshim in a minute, but just some background. This mitzvah is one of the 613. It's counted as one of the taryag to build a fence or a railing, not only on your roof, but as I said, on your staircase, on a balcony, on a porch, around a swimming pool, and so on. Gemara Baba Basra and Aleph says the halacha requires that the guardrail, the fence has to be a minimum of 10 tfachim, about three and a third feet high. It has to be designed to withstand the weight of an average person leaning against it. So you can't symbolically put something there so it looks like a fence. You have to put something 10 tfachim high. It has to be able to bear the weight of an average person. The Gemara Babakama, Tesvav, Ksubas, Memalef, learn a corollary of the law, then not only can you not leave a platform without a railing, but a corollary of this halacha is you can't have a flimsy ladder in your house, you can't have a rabid dog in your house, a violent dog in your house. In other words, this halacha is the source, is the origin that your house needs to be a safe space. You need to have a carbon monoxide detector. You need smoke detectors. You need railings. You need a fence around your pool. You need your property is your responsibility. Again, from a legal liability and from a spiritual liability. The Ramam, the Chaye Adam, and others say, it's one of the Tariq Mitzvahs, is halacha. Before you build that fence, you make a bracha. You have to make a bracha. Birchas mitzvah. The question is, when do you recite this birchas mitzvah? When do you make the bracha? Before you begin to install the fence? Or on the completion of the fence? It's a good question, right? Chassam Sofer seems to suggest, in his Chuvos or Chaim Simon Nun that you make the bracha on the ma'akeh right before it is complete. The last hammer blow, the last screw you put in, the last installation for the railing, that's when you make the bracha. But isn't that peculiar? We have a rule that when you have a birchas mitzvah, the bracha of a mitzvah, you make the bracha over la'asiyasan before you do the mitzvah. You don't blow the shofar as somebody is practicing in the other room. 
You don't blow the shofar, then make the bracha. You break the bracha, then you blow the shofar. You don't read the Megillah, then make the bracha. You make the bracha, then you read Megillah. You don't shake the Dalad Min and the Lulav and Esrog, then make the bracha, you make the bracha, and so on and so forth. We have this whole concoction Friday night. Women who light Shabbos candles, because you have to make the bracha before you do the mitzvah. But once you make the bracha, it's Shabbos, now you can't light the candles. So what do we do? You light the candles, you cover your eyes, you're not benefiting, you make the bracha, so it's as if, and then you move your hands, now you see the light, you're good. Which is why many women don't have the custom of doing that on Yantif. Because on Yantif, you're allowed to light a fire. So therefore, there's no prohibition of benefiting even after you've made the bracha. So some, why you do three times, why you're waving at yourself, not just covering your eyes, I don't know. But it's a universal practice. So the rule is you make the bracha over Lasias and you make the bracha before doing the mitzvah. Why here would you make the bracha at the end of building the makkah? Why would you make the bracha at the very end, not at the beginning, as the chsam sofer suggests? So I saw an interesting sefer. It's not in your source booklet, which hopefully we'll get to. Sefer Avne Shlomo by Rab Shlomo Aaron Bluch. And in here he quotes the following chakira, a little lumdus for you. I hope I won't lose you. But listen, very interesting. What is the mitzvah of Makkah? The mitzvah to build a fence, a railing. Is the mitzvah the building of the fence? Or is the mitzvah to have a fence built? Is there a mitzvah to go through the act of building the fence? Or is the mitzvah to get to the result of having a fence which is built? There's a lot of nafkamina, there's a lot of practical differences in this hakira. Is the mitzvah to build the fence, or is the mitzvah to have a fence which is built? Think of what's a practical difference. What might be a practical difference? So one is what we just said. One would you say the bracha. If the mitzvah is to build the fence, so then the bracha over on saying the bracha before the mitzvah, you say the bracha before you begin to build the fence. If the mitzvah is to have a built fence, then when is the mitzvah? When it's complete. The over and the before the mitzvah would be at the end of the process. He suggests that's one nafkamina. Another nafkamina may be, should you build the fence yourself? Or do you just need to arrange for a fence to be built? Maybe, may not be a nafkamina because it's possible that even if you arrange for someone else, they're acting as a shliach, an agent for you as if you built, as if you built the fence. Another nafkamina might be, do you have to have kavana? It's an interesting Rav Hanan Wasserman. Rav Hanan says, even if you hold mitzvah shrichos kavana, that mitzvahs require you to concentrate, to think about their meaning while you do it, that's only true for a mitzvah which is action-oriented. But a mitzvah which is result-oriented doesn't need kavana. So for example, a mitzvah which is action-oriented, like eating matzah or listening to shofar, that's when you have to have kavana. You have to have mindfulness that you're doing a mitzvah. But a mitzvah which is result-oriented, like pru'uravu, having children, there you don't need the mindfulness that it's for the purpose of a mitzvah, and other result-oriented. So here too, would you have to have kavana? It might depend, is this an action-oriented mitzvah? You have to construct a fence. Or a result-oriented mitzvah, you need a fence which is constructed. It gives another nafkamin, it's also technical, which is we have a principle of ta'aseh velomin ha'asui that you have to construct something and you can't have it simply be. What's an example? Sukkah. We're getting close to the holiday. You have to build your walls and only then put up the schach. You can't put the schach up and then build the walls. Why? 
Because the schach, sukkah is tasa, you're supposed to make a sukkah. The sukkah is defined by the schach. First you need the structure, and you make the sukkah by having the schach be the final thing. If the schach is already there before there's walls, when you put up the walls, you're in violation of what you call tasa velo asui. You have the same thing with tzitzis. Let's say you say, you know, it's more convenient for me to do the whole windings and the knots, and then I'll attach it to the garment. You can't tasa You're supposed to tie the tzitzis onto the garment. You can't complete it and then put it onto the garment. We have the same thing with mezuzah. You can't lack a roof, put up the mezuzah, then the roof. You need to have the building, then the mezuzah. Tasa velomenasoy. Would this mitzvah of tasa velomenasoy apply to the fence as well? Could you have the fence and then you build the back? Could, would this apply? It might depend on, it's an interesting hakira. Is there a mitzvah to construct the fence? Or is the mitzvah to have a fence which has been constructed? Okay, all that's an aside. I want to get to the Mephoshim. And I want to see the commentaries on this mitzvah and understand this mitzvah a little bit better. Somebody had a comment? Okay, we'll come back to it later. Okay, let's start taking a look inside. Rashi, ki sivne bayis chadash. Says Rashi, in kiyamta mitzvah shiluach hakan, sof chalivnaz bayis chadash. V'tizkai, v'tikai in mitzvah smakeh. Shem mitzvah goreras mitzvah. V'tagiyah lekerem v'sadu l'begadam noem l'chach nismuchu parshios halalu. Rashi quotes the Medrash Tanchuma who tells us, if you want to understand the succession of these random, seemingly random mitzvahs in our parsha, here it is. Here is the succession. If you fulfill the mitzvah of Shiluach HaKain, if you in fact send away the mother bird before you take the eggs, you show the sensitivity, the care, the concern, you fulfill the will of the Almighty, then you will merit to build a new home. And when you build the new home, you'll be able to fulfill another mitzvah. Because mitzvah goreris mitzvah. Observing one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. And so you did the right thing by sending away the mother bird. As a reward, you merit to build a new home. Now you get to build a fence. You do that mitzvah, God's going to keep sending you mitzvahs. Now you're going to plant a vineyard and be able to observe kelayim, not creating a hybrid. And then you're going to merit new clothing, a new wardrobe. Make sure you choose the wardrobe for your gender, not the opposite, and so on and so forth. Rashi says, quoting the Medrash, the theme of our parsha is mitzvah goreres mitzvah as Mordechai Shapiro likes to sing. Schar mitzvah mitzvah. Mitzvah leads to another mitzvah, and therefore with each observance of a mitzvah here, it's going to lead to another, another mitzvah. What's maka says Rashi, geder saviv legag. A fence around the roof, that's what a maka is. If you look at the kliakar, the kliakar says, it's not just random mitzvahs. Observe this random mitzvah, Mitzvah's goreris mitzvah. You're in a good place, a good mindset. One good deed begets another good deed. One mitzvah provides another mitzvah opportunity, puts you in the mindset to do more mitzvahs. It's not just random. You did this random mitzvah, you'll do the next random mitzvah. Says the Kliyakar, there's a connection between these mitzvahs. I'm on the third paragraph of his comment on Laman Yitav Lach Varach Yam in Pasuk Zayin. Says the Kliyakar, Mitam Samacha Mitzvah. Do I have it here in your source sheet? Yeah, if you look on page 2 in your source sheet, he has the Kliyakar as one long paragraph. But if you look in that two, four, six lines up from the end of the first paragraph of the Kliyakar, see it says, Umitamzeh Samach? 
ומטעם זה סומך המצווה למצווה כסיב נבייס חדש, ואמרו חז"ל, קיימת מצווה שלוח הקיין, תזכור לנו וואי, מה עניין זה לזה? What does sending away the mother bird have to do with meriting a new house? What's one thing have to do with the other? So he says, לפי שמצווה שלוח הקיין, מביאך על ידי אמונס חידש העולם, שהקדוש ברוך הוא בנו וחידשו. על כן מידה כנגד מידה, תזכה גם אתה לבנוס בי החדש, וזהו יסוד האמונה. says the Kliyakar, you know what's at the core of the mitzvah שילוח הקיין? Not just honoring the mother bird, but honoring motherhood. Honoring paternity. Remembering that we come from somewhere. These eggs didn't randomly appear in a nest. The eggs have a mother. And when you remember the eggs have a mother, you're going to remember you have a mother. And when you remember that you have a mother, you're going to remember that your mother has a mother. And that she has a mother, and she has a mother, and she has a mother, going all the way back to the Rebona Shalom, the Almighty, the Creator of the universe, the original mother and father. Our great father in heaven, God. So implicit within the mitzvah of Shiloh HaKain is also a connection to Kibbut HaVeim, to honoring and respecting the institution of parenthood. And the understanding that we are not simply here on our own, but there is a cause. We come from somewhere. If you follow that back far enough, you come to honor and respect and recognize the first cause, the Creator, the Rebona Shalom Himself. Says the Kliyakar, that's the connection. When you send away the mother bird, it's emuna in Chidosh HaOlam Shachadosh Baruch Hu That just like the egg has a mother, we have a Creator. That's at the core of the mitzvah Shiloh HaKain. So because you respect and honor that God is the creator of that which is new, you merit something new, namely a new house. That's the Kliyakar's connection between these mitzvahs. If you turn to page 3, you'll see the wonderful sefer called Ber Yosef by Rav Yosef Salat. And here in the Ber Yosef, he says the following. See where the arrow is on page 3? He says, It's not just because you did the mitzvah of sending the mother bird away that you merit a new house. Why do you merit the new house? Why do you merit the new house? The new house is not just a payoff. It's not just a reward for the previous mitzvah you did. Why do you merit the new house? No, it's not a trick question. So that you have the opportunity to do another mitzvah. Says Rav Yosef Salant, from Rashi you might have misunderstood, if you misunderstood Rashi, you might have misunderstood that the new house is a reward for having done the mitzvah. No. The reward for having done the mitzvah is the opportunity for another mitzvah. How do you gain the opportunity for the mitzvah of ma'akeh, of putting up a fence? Kisiv nebayis chadash. By building a new house. It's a fundamentally different way to understand it. Skip the parentheses. The left-hand paragraph. Says Rav Yosef Salant, 
So he sent the mother bird away, and God says, oh, we have a mitzvah boy, we have a mitzvah girl here. They like doing mitzvahs, beautiful, I love that. I want to give them more mitzvahs. So you know what? I'm going to reward them with the opportunity to build a new house so they have the opportunity to do my mitzvah of Makkah. And now the new homeowner neglects the mitzvah of Makkah. What's going to happen, says Rav, Yisrael, says Rav Yosef Salant? What will happen? They'll lose the house. Because the house wasn't a reward for doing the previous mitzvah well. The house was the platform for doing the next mitzvah, which is the reward for the previous mitzvah. Totally different way of understanding and seeing this. And he says, you see, this is the Targum. If you look at the Aramaic translation, the Targum, on our Pasuk, Targum translates it as, It's, It says the Targum, that if you build a new house, and how does, what does it mean, tika? Tik, shemeshamer masha besocho. Pashtos on page four. Hamaki kemotik lishmor ala olem ala gag shelo yiplu. The maka, the fence, is like a little, a tik, a little, a bag, a basket, to protect the people that climb on your roof. What does it mean, a basket? Means when the fence is guarding your house, what does that mean? It's a whole new way of understanding the pasuk. It's such a beautiful pshat. Again, Torah says you build a new house. I'm sorry. The Torah says you send away the mother bird, and Rashi says in the merit of sending away the mother bird, you get to build a new house, and the new house needs a fence, and the fence guards the house. Says Rav Yosef Salant. How does the fence guard the house? Not just physically from someone falling, the fence guards the gift and blessing of the house. Because the whole reason you got the house, the whole reason you merited the blessing of the house is why? To do the mitzvah of Makkah. So when you do the mitzvah of Makkah, now it guards the house, it preserves that blessing in your life. It means the following. What comes out of the commenter of Yosef Salant is... Mushalev, do you mind just closing that door? Maybe telling whoever's blown chauffeur. <laughs> what comes out is whatever material blessing we have in our lives is not a reward for something righteous that we did, but the reward for the righteous thing we did is to have the material blessing in our life to do more mitzvahs with it. Hashem says, you're good, you're good at mitzvahs, you love mitzvahs? Fantastic. I want to position you to do more mitzvahs. So if He gives us the blessing and we now neglect the future opportunity for mitzvahs, we lose that blessing. Because the blessing wasn't a reward for the previous mitzvah, the blessing was the platform for the next mitzvah, which is the reward for the previous mitzvah. Neglect the next opportunity, you have neglected the reward for the previous mitzvah. You understand? Totally different shot, beautiful. From Rashi it sounded like, if you send away the mother bird, Hashem says, okay, the reward is a new house, and now, by the way, there's a mitzvah with the new house. No. The reward for sending the mother bird away is the opportunity to do another mitzvah of Maka. Azai Zakt Rabbi Yosef Salant. Yes. Right.
Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Good. Although we still have to come back to that question. So just to repeat, another connection might be sending away the mother bird is an act of sensitivity and caring about the safety in your home is an act of sensitivity and that might be a connection. In terms of the new house, the halacha is the maki applies to any house. So why would the Torah specifically tell us on a new house? We'll still come back to that in a moment. Shnod the Mikubalim understand Shiluach HaKain as an allegory or a metaphor for our relationship with Hashem. That when we are in Golis, the mother bird is the Ribona Shalom, we are his eggs, there's a separation between the two, even when we are in Golis, there's a whole literature on that, not for now, but there is that connection as well. So Rashi said, why the succession in the parasha? Because by sending the mother bird away, you merit the next mitzvah, which earns you the house. The Ibn Ezra says differently. Look at the Ibn Ezra in Pasuk Ches. Zog the Ibn Ezra, Ki siv chadash, why is it here? Because after after you go to war and you conquer Israel, what are you going to do next? Build your house. It's time to set up your house. And that's why the mitzvah of Makkah, he says, specifically applies here. The Nitziv, source number five, page number five. Ha'amikdavar of Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. The great Nitziv and his Ha'amikdavar, where the arrow is. First he quotes the Sifri, as we just said. Mavur dehu adin bayis yashan. Even an old house also requires a maka. Not just a new house. V'hadich sev bayis chadash bal olam denu. Da'abona bayis chadash roi liyasta advar mitzvah b'tchilasa. V'achim mavur b'zohar parashas mitzvah. So says the Nitzv, he's bothered. If this mitzvah applies equally to an old house and a new house, why did the Torah give us the directive specifically when you build a new house? And he explains, because what it means is, when you build something new, try to establish it on a mitzvah. Whenever you're doing something new, you bought a new car, first time you drive, drive to go do a mitzvah. Whenever you have something new, try to inaugurate that new thing, new opportunity, new status, new title, new object, with a mitzvah. And that's what the Torah is telling us here. Whether it's new or old or you moved into it, but it was old. If it's new for you, do a mitzvah with it. It's a beautiful idea. If that's the case, why didn't it tell us with mezuzah? When you buy a new home, to put up the mezuzah. If the idea is when you have something new for you, even if the house is a hundred years old, but it's new for you, anything new, establish it with a mitzvah. Why didn't it teach us this with the rule of mezuzah? He says, because the difference is, yes, a house is obligated in a mezuzah, but the mezuzah is not a law in the construction of the house. You're allowed to move into the house even if it lacks a mezuzah. It needs a mezuzah. Get a mezuzah. But you can still live there. But if your house lacks a railing or a balcony, you're not allowed to live there. Till it's there, you can't move in. There's a biblical prohibition to live there before it's there. Because there's too great risk. And therefore, it says the Nitziv, because of that, this notion 
that when you when you build a new house, which we didn't mean literally build, it means something is new for you. Establish it with a mitzvah was taught specifically with the rule of maka, the fence or railing, because you can't come into your house unless you have it. Very good. Next. Yes. The fence on your roof? It has to conform with HOA guidelines. It has to conform with halacha and HOA guidelines. Yeah. Now there's of HOA guidelines where no railings can be over nine tfachim. You would still have to build your railing ten tfachim if you want to live in that house. But it's hard to imagine... Well, I shouldn't say that. HOA. <laughs> capable of everything. But yeah. The safer the better. Well, those aren't safety issues. Those are landscaping issues. That's a whole separate topic. But safety issues. In other words... Regulating pool fences, balconies, staircases for flat roofs that have stairway access, fences, and so on. Yes? So if you move into an older home, but it's new to you, and it already has all these fences... You're good. You don't have to worry about it. Correct. If it has it, you're halakhically okay. But it is one of the things to check out. I remember somebody moved into a home here, and there was a second floor overlooked the first floor, and the railing from the second floor overlooking the first, first floor was too short. was not the height to, to meet the halachic criteria. They have a halachic obligation to extend it. According to the Rambam, the Chayadim, you make a bracha before you extend it. According to the Chassam Sofer, you do it at the end. Others, you do it at the beginning, as we saw. Okay, let's keep going. Rashi, back to Rashi. Ki pol hanofel. You got to put up the railing, the guardrail, because if not, they will surely fall. Says Rashi, Roy Zelipol. This person was destined to fall and die. A very important principle here. If the person fell off of your roof, your balcony, and died, you'd say they didn't die because of my neglect to put a rail in your balcony. They died because the Almighty determined they should die. I have a Muna. I live with Amuna. Someone doesn't die without God wanting them to die. They died because their time had come. It was meant for them to die. So don't blame me for the lack of railing or balcony on the balcony. This is the Arbonne Shalom. They're going to become very firm all of a sudden and say, I have no liability because I have the Amuna defense. It's called the Amuna defense. So Rashi says the Amuna defense doesn't hold. Why? True. The Arbonne Shalom wanted that person to die. Their time had come. True, people don't die unless God Almighty has determined it's time for them to die. Who said they had to die? By falling off your roof? Could have gotten hit by a car, they could have been stricken with an illness, they could have had a massive heart attack. I don't want to scare you with all the different ways a person can die. There's no shortage, unfortunately, of ways that a person can die. Who said they had to die on your property, falling off your roof? And we have a principle. Megagal and zakai. If something good is destined to happen... We find someone good through whom to make it happen. And if something bad is supposed to happen, we find somebody who's been neglectful through whom to make it happen. So you are liable. Your responsibility was to have your property be safe. Ah, when it was unsafe and something happened to someone, that was the will of God. Okay, that's between that person and God when they get upstairs. 
But your responsibility was your property. True, their time had come, but God could have made their time come through a myriad of different ways. He chose to do it through you because you bear a liability and responsibility for not having had your property be safe. Okay. Go back to the Sforno. Says the Sforno, Lo sasim damim ki Don't have blood in your home, for they will surely fall. Kasha yikra sheipol eza nofel, misham loti ata gorem, bofen sheonesh adam beveischa. When someone will surely fall in your house, because if their time has come, the time is coming. It could be in your house. Let it not be because you caused it. Let it not be because of your neglect. Let it not be because you were irresponsible. Okay, back to the source booklet. Page 7, the Rabbeinu Bachia. Rabbeinu Bachia has a great comment. The Helega Rabbeinu Bachia, the 13th century Spanish commentary. He says, Al-Darach Apshat, Yasir she'ishtamer ha'adam in asakana kenyan she'kaslov. Really, the core of this mitzvah is caution, safety. Hishama l'cha u'shmor nafshecha ma'od. Ulekach yitzava ki kishiyiv nebeso, yasemake legago, Make sure your house is safe. Like I said, carbon monoxide, smoke detectors, fence, pool fence, and so on. And as I told you earlier, the Gemara learns from here, extends from here. You can't have a dangerous pet. You can't have a flimsy ladder. You see that all the time. People leave ladders up where kids can run around. You have responsibility. You put up a ladder, take it down. Don't just leave it up. Particularly if it's flimsy, and so on. V'yaderach hamedrash, v'asisa makil legagecha ki yipol anuflem imenu roi ha'yalipol mishesis yimayibreshes. Really, this person was destined to die since the six days of creation. V'alatalu tigrom shetei misas oyadcha. It didn't have to be through you. V'yin hamedrash zeki kol anuvram kol anuvram bechavtsam murtzonam kosh baruch hu diem breshes abriya kol inyanehem v'chal nikra masidim lavo alayem and so on and so forth. Okay, skip down on page eight, the third pshat. Two four the fifth line it says Vialderach Kabbalah. See what I underlined? Yes. Vyasisa Makila Gagecha, Acha Shahizkir Bishloha Kain, Hevina Shia Emlashiva Banam Shagodla, Hutrach Lahaskir Bimitzua Yirava Khmadvekimi Makidilahashim Kola Usher. Kyamake Udavar Hasovev, Vahamakif, Vuhum Makura El Yon, Kadoshu Bachma, Vitvuno Vidas, Bagaga Parashal Abayasu Khachma. He says, if your home represents your possessions, all that you have, after we mentioned the Shiloh Hakein, you merit to build a home, and the home represents your possessions, all that you have, you need to put up a fence around your material possessions, all that you have. Meaning, don't let the bias the new house, the house, the car, the silver, the Judaica, the don't let that define who you are. Make a ma'akeligagecha. Put up a fence around your roof. Put up a boundary. Recognize that it's wonderful to have those things. Enjoy those things. Benefit those things. But they don't define who you are. Put up a fence. Put up a boundary around it. Because if you don't, ki yipol hanofel you will surely fall. The materialism, the quest for more, the ego, the insatiable appetite, 
to amass and accumulate more and more and more in that home, the bigger home and so on, you'll fall off that roof of materialism. It needs a fence around it. There has to be a boundary to it. Enjoy it, benefit, use it, love it, do mitzvahs with it. But don't confuse it with who you are. And that's what the fence represents. And avoiding falling off the roof, avoiding getting hurt. The Ben Ishchai has a similar idea. We'll come back to it, the Ben Ishchai in a moment when we see the Aslan Marebbe inside. I'll just tell you this great quote. I shared it yesterday on our Emunah WhatsApp group. And of course, now I can't find it. Here. Art Buchwald once said, The best things in life aren't things. The best things in life are not things. <laughs> Meaning, the best things in life are experiences, relationships, people. Don't confuse things with people. The fence around the roof of our home is to remember it's the people inside the home which are the prized possession, not the home. And if you forget that, ki pol no fell, you will surely, you will surely fall. I once quoted in a drusha an article, a study in 2009 from the University of Rochester called Love People Not Things. Tracked the success of 147 graduates in reading their goals. Some had intrinsic goals like deep enduring relationships. Others had extrinsic goals, achieving reputation or fame. They found that intrinsic goals were associated with happier lives. People who pursued the extrinsic goals had more negative emotions like shame and fear and physical maladies. So you see this notion, putting up a fence around our ambition, putting up a fence around our aspiration. Enjoy the good things, have a boundary around it, because if not, you will surely, you will surely fall. Two more explanations quickly of the Ma'ake. Page number nine. This is from a sefer called Haben Yakirli Ephraim, Rav Ephraim Chaim Halevi Klein. I like his name, his first two names. And here he says the following. The, ma, the bias chadash represents a person's spiritual house. And asisa makile gagecha is a description of the importance of putting up a fence around that. He quotes the Balaturim on our parsha kisivne bais chadash, Romez albinyan beis amikdash. We know that the Mishkan moved around to several places. The beis amikdash was built and destroyed twice. And that we too in our own lives, our spiritual lives, the spiritual home in our mind, in our life, we wax and we wane, we have cycles and rhythms. It gets built, it gets destroyed, we feel closer, we feel more distant. And the notion of kisivne bais chadash, making a makila gagecha, vasisa makila gagecha, means that we need a boundary, we need a siag, a fence, in our own spiritual existence. And to him the fence is yirashamayim. We need to live with a sense of awe, a sense of respect of the Almighty. With the recognition that each time we build Kisiv Nebai's Chadash, you're starting out again, and this is really the last source. If you turn to the Salonim Rebbe, pages 10 and 11. The Salonim Rebbe says, at the root of Kisiv Nebai's Chadash is, he writes it so beautifully, let's take one moment to look at it inside. Page 10, the Salonim Rebbe of Shalom Brzovsky Zatzal. If you look on the second paragraph on the right, Yishlom Adasa Avoda Pimaymar Maran Admor Bebeis Avrom Zchusi Yagino Aleno Apostle Gazav Rosh Darko, that when a person wants to do tshuva in their life, you want to change something in your life, 
you have a shortcoming, a bad habit, something you want to change or improve upon, yikach atzmo l'derech chadasha. You got to go on a new path. You got to start again. And this is what it means. You're building a new house. Sometimes you need to give yourself a facelift. Not physical facelift. Your life needs a makeover. That's the word I was looking for. Sometimes you need a makeover. I don't mean you go to the mall and get a makeover. I mean, your spiritual life needs a makeover. I want to start coming to Minyan. I want to stop talking Lashonara. I want to take on learning. I want to stop talking during davening. I want to have a better relationship with my spouse, my children, with my grandchildren. Your spiritual life needs a makeover. You have ambition to build a bias chadash. You want to live in a new spiritual house in your own head. You want to live in a new spiritual world. What do you do? Atzaso, the advice is, Asisa ma'ke How do you start? You need to put up a fence around it. This is a hint to the Midah of Yira Shamayim. That, in other words, say I wanna, I'm sick of feeling uh, unhealthy, I gotta lose weight. I'm building a new physical life. I'm gonna start eating right, I'm gonna start exercising. Where do you begin? Says the Slonim Rebbe, You gotta put a fence, you gotta put boundaries, you gotta recognize what the dangers and what's trying to influence you and put a boundary. You need some yira. Why is the fence on your roof? Why doesn't it say the fence should be on your balcony, on your railing, on your staircase? Because the gag, the roof, is a hint to a person's head. As it says in the Sefer, told us Yankiv Yosef, because where do we begin if you want to improve your life? If you want to give yourself a spiritual makeover, how do you do it? You start on top with your head. If you want to lose weight in your gut, where do you begin? Not with your gut. Where do you begin? With your head. What's on your head? You have seven gates. Zayin Sha'ari de Gulgalta. Two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, and a mouth. This is what the uh, Bali Musa say last week's parsha. Shoftim v'shotrim titein l'chal b'chol sha'arecha. Place judges and watchmen over all the gates. Sha'arecha is an allusion to the seven gates. We need to guard what we look at with our eyes, guard what we listen to with our ears, guide what goes in and out of our mouth. I'm not sure how you guard your nose. I mean, don't sniff anything you shouldn't be sniffing but I'm not sure what else you're guarding with your nose but it begins by guarding the entrance and the gate the seven gates are all from the neck up that's where the decisions are made that's where the temptation is that's where the entrance to all of our uh, our life is through those is through those seven gates so the Salaam Rabbah develops we're out of time but you could read the rest of the piece then he gets into Rosh Hashanah on the Gag is the Rosh the Rosh of the Shana it's a beautiful piece May come back to it on Shabbat Shuvah. But uh, we saw many, many different interpretations of this mitzvah, the practical, ten tefachamai, making a bracha beforehand, to why is it on a bayis chadash, if it applies equally to an old house, then it's Siv said, because it's an illusion. Anytime you do anything new, inaugurate it with a mitzvah. So even though it applies equally to an old house, it formulates it with new to teach us whenever you do something new, inaugurate it with a mitzvah. We saw the Yosef, the uh, Be'er Yosef, Rav Yosef Salant, 
who said it's not that the house is a reward for the mitzvah, the house is the opportunity to do another mitzvah, and the new mitzvah is the reward for the old mitzvah. So when you achieve material possessions, use them for another mitzvah, because that's why you got them. And if you don't use them for the next mitzvah, you will lose them as a reward for the previous mitzvah. Have a wonderful week.